Welcome to another episode of Wayne Gardner podcast and we are two very happy podcasters today. <laughs> I am Ram Srinivas and Jimmy Funnel is with me. Hello. Hello everybody. Great day to be a Chelsea fan. Yeah, great day to be a Chelsea fan. We have done the double over Tottenham and if the stat I read online is to be believed, we are now the first team to have done a double over a Mourinho managed team. In the Premier League, I think. Yeah. If that's true, that's sensational. And also somewhat poetic in a way that it comes against the club that he's had most success with in his career, which is Chelsea. So that's amazing. We have, yeah, we looked just about as comfortable, I think, as we did at White Hart Lane. And even our home farm, I think that's saying something. We... We did, we did think that Lampard might go with three at the back, didn't we? Yeah, there was although, the chance. Mm. Yeah, although we perhaps didn't anticipate that he would go for a slightly more Leipzig-esque formation of a 3-4-2-1 instead of maybe an out-and-out 3-4-3 with two wingers. Yeah. But yeah, Pedro wasn't even on the bench. Uh, I, if he got injured, then I missed it. But it was Mason Mount and Ross Barkley starting as two number 10s. And it just worked really well, didn't it, Jimmy? I, th- I think Mourinho set up with a very narrow formation as well. And we told him, fine, you want to play narrow? We're going to play narrow. We fought fire with fire and we just, we didn't give them any space in midfield at all. Isn't that right? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think in regard to their formation being narrower than you'd normally have expected, it will have had quite a bit to do with that they were light up front. Um, I mean, with Harry Kane being a long-term absentee for quite a while now, and Son coming into that, uh, <clears throat> into the injured list, onto the injured list, sorry, um, this week, if I'm not mistaken, um, they, I guess, tried to play narrow, uh, which was going to fit their counter, um, counter playing football, which Mourinho clearly went with because. Uh, he didn't have a focal point similar to when we played against um, Manchester United last week. And oh, actually, it's not last week. It was Monday. Sorry. Um, no focal point. We had a tough time, and it kind of showed for them as well. And you know, <laughs> Olivier Giroud, he may be old now and not as pacey as he once was, or if he ever was pacey. Um, but that's from his Arsenal days. Mm-hmm. It worked well. It worked well. He held up the ball well. Uh, his goal, I mean, he's always scored spectacular goals. That's been one of his traits. And he showed it once again that he was just, he's a formidable striker when it comes to finishing. And um, had quite a few chances where you say he could have scored. But in that moment where he thought the chance was gone, out of an, I'm not going to say impossible angle, but it was a it tight was angle. Tough. It was yeah, definitely it was tight, um, yeah. tough. He, he scored, and that's just Olivier Giroud. And the way he was happy, and, you know, I think I saw him pat the, the badge as well. He, he likes Chelsea. You know, he, he's not yeah. been as long here as he was at Arsenal, of course. But, you know, he, he really does care as well for at least the squad, for the lads, you know. Um, I don't know. I mean, we, we were put into perspective, and I'll retract my sentiments regarding Lampard, saying, oh, I don't get why he doesn't trust him and all that. But... It seems that really, and that Frank Lampard does trust him. It was just about fitness levels. And, you know, I can understand why Lampard wasn't always going to use him in 
the first part of the season because he thought he was going to be gone. But now he knows he'll stay until the summer. Bashwa yeah. isn't doing good enough. And he's using him. So, I'll, you know, I have to say, sorry, that was yeah. maybe, that was too quick to pass judgment there. But, you know, it's great that it's cleared up. And regarding our form, which you mentioned, um, I like the way we played. I think the cause for us to play three at the back now for the next month, just because Marcus Alonso was playing well, and, you know, generally the team was working well um, yeah. together. That's too hasty. It's the same with last time. Everyone said, yeah, let's revert back to the three. This has been after Wolves, et cetera, et cetera. Every time we played well in a three after we've been playing in a uh, four at the back, mm. we then, the next game, completely yeah. botch it up. So I think yeah. it depends yeah. on the um, opponent you have. Against Spurs, it worked well twice now. But, you know, I think our next... I mean, apart from Bayern Munich, of course, but in the league, if I'm not mistaken, is now next game Bournemouth? Um, Why am I mistaken I, there? Well, our shocking lack of knowledge has been exposed. Our next yeah. game is right. Bayern Munich, and then it is yeah Bournemouth away. Uh, well, then that's not that. No, I I thought so. Yeah, okay. <laughs> um, but you know, against Bournemouth, I don't think that three at the back would be the best of choices. It, it always depends, though. I'm not as tactically astute in regard to it Bournemouth does. as you as you are or others. Um, but I I think it it's tricky, and Frank Lampard will just have to know. Does this feel, does it not fit? I thought also that his in-game management was much better. What did you think of uh, how he used his substitutes? And I, I really want to also say something about that afterwards, but what you thought of him using Ross Barkley and Mason Mount on the wings? Because when I saw that first, I thought, whoa. <laughs> no, that, that that was amazing. Uh, as as I hinted at earlier, mm. we, we kind of anticipated that Mourinho would set up Naro. I mean, he played... He didn't play a three at the back, did he? He basically played a no, five. Uh, yeah, kind because of, yeah. Tanganga and Davies were not exactly wing backs. <laughs> uh, I, I guess uh, Ben Davis was slightly, I mean, he was contributing more in attack, but yeah, Tanganga was more or less playing as a deeper right back, and he's basically a centre back anyway. So Mourinho set up very, he set up flat, he set up with a five, four, one. You can't really call it a three, five, two, or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we we know that it was going to be narrow, and we played Mason Mount and Ross Barkley because they will press they will press the hell out of Spurs midfield, and uh, obviously, uh, if if width is not being used, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to counter whatever they're doing, and we're going to fill up the fill up the midfield, right? So we basically stuck four midfielders in there: Mason Mount and Ross Barkley. Um, Mount can. Mount can operate in wider areas, of course, but then they're both comfortable playing inside. And then I feel as if uh, we we really gave Spurs no option but to go direct, you know, because yeah. whenever they were passing to Ndombele or Winks, they were repeatedly getting caught out. Um, they were, yeah. They, they, could, they could handle the press of Mason Mount and Ross Barkley coming inside. And there's also the fact that Reese James also kept coming in field and he kept trying to press uh, whoever was on his side. I think he pressed uh, Ndombele successfully a couple of times. So I think that Lampard set up really well. It was a good show of uh, tactical prowess from him. He uh, nullified any sort of threat that they had. And Bergwijn um, up front, basically on his own, did not work at all because we had three centre-backs. And Aspeliqueta is like... Uh, sorry, Aspeliqueta and Christensen 
or the perfect profile of defenders to deal with someone who isn't a heavy battering ram, which yeah. is Bergwijn. So, did you did you notice how when they took off, I think Dombele for what's his face, uh, Lamella? Yeah, for what's his face? Yeah, <laughs> that changed the game slightly, didn't it? Yeah, it did. They, because they became more yeah. proficient up front. They, they transitioned to more of a front three, didn't they? Because Lucas mm. and Lamella. Uh, kind of played as two narrow forwards and then using their pace they tried to stretch us at will and Lucas was also very proficient at trying to dribble through those half spaces in the attacking third so uh, that that just that gave them a lot more edge in attack but then when they set up with no edge we made sure that they didn't have they didn't have anything at all they couldn't capitalize on our errors which they basically wanted to do so yeah that was that was really good it was I mean it's really satisfying, isn't it, when you watch Lampard throw in like a tactical uh, display like that? It was just very, uh, very good to see him do that against Mourinho. Like student, student outdoes the outdoes the mentor type. Yeah, I I, I agree, but one I, I don't want to be you know uh, moaning after such a great display. But I'm I'm not going to moan. I'm just going to have Ken. Because you have to think of Monday. So Monday for me okay. showed why Lampard is still so inexperienced and he did not do a good job of all the things that he did do a good job of yesterday. So my point is, I think one has to uh, not not really... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not saying to not laud him for what he did because uh, he did very, very well, but one has to be careful um, because... He's in the learning process. It's a heavy, uh, you know, a steep learning curve in the Premier League, and um, we're lauding him this weekend. But maybe next one when we play against Bournemouth, where it's far more tricky because our our problem has been in um, breaking down uh, compact or um, very defensively. Uh, compact teams at the back you know so they they're just standing at the back huddling in and you can't really break them down and that's been a problem for us so we'll see you know maybe he doesn't do as good a job as he did yesterday because Tottenham was of course playing the back foot and were trying to break uh, whenever they could but they still this you can't compare Tottenham to a Bournemouth you know because Bournemouth knows their strengths and that's Try, well, actually, normally they try to play more expansive football, but when they played against us in the reverse fixture, I don't know when it was, October something, November. Um, they 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 schooled us there because they were playing defensively sound, and we couldn't break them down. It's just impossible. So I hope that Lampa can show that he's learned from his mistakes there. Um, maybe it's a bit harsh to just judge him or you know use this example of hey yesterday was great but on Monday it wasn't because that was Manchester United and they have been bad this season but they've risen to the occasion uh, against the big guns normally uh, Man City and so on so it'll be interesting to see if Lampard learned from the Bournemouth game um, but coming back to the Tottenham one um, yeah I, I think one, one person that you mentioned there Mason Mount I mean, for me, he was the man of the match. I mean, how much stick he's been getting over the past few weeks, even months. Bang. I mean, even one of the... Ma- I don't know if it was the React. No, I think it wasn't the one where Lampard was calling 
uh, for people to recognize how good he was. It was someone saying, oh, he's bang average. It's just, I don't get it. You know, he played his, he, he played yesterday as if his life was dependent on it. And he put, gave everything for the badge yesterday. He really embodied what we as Chelsea fans want our players to do and show. And still people giving him sticks, saying it was average. He contributed immensely to that second goal. The skill he showed. And to, to get that to Ross Barkley, and, uh, you know, he let Matt Yamba Tongan look as if he was, I don't know, a cone. Uh, he, he's a schoolboy defending. And I think that was only shown uh, to us because Mason Mount just had that much skill to, to overcome that Tottenham defence and it was it was fantastic and the way he pressed he was always the first to uh, uh, put the Tottenham players in possession under pressure and I think he did a fantastic job and for me he's deserved he would be deservedly the one to get the man of the match award I know Giroud got it which is great as well but he was out of this world yesterday and that's why I always said in the past he's integral I mean he was very tired before the winter break, and I think that really did show. But now, as well as against Man United, we're seeing the real Mason Mount again. Goals and assists or not, it's the way he really uh, gives it his all that motivates his team and inspires them to do the same. Ross Barkley, shout out to him as well, did the same. Yeah, no, I I totally agree, and we shouldn't we shouldn't. Um... It would be remiss of us to not mention Ross Barkley because he seemingly comes... He, I mean, he, he had a shaky start of the season, didn't he? He just he did, didn't yeah. look convincing enough. And even in pre-season... I mean, yeah, sorry, in pre-season he was actually pretty good, wasn't he? And then we thought, okay, Ross Barkley is um, going to be the one for Mason Mount to try and beat out of the team. Then obviously that, that didn't turn out to be the case because Barkley really flattered to deceive in... Uh, well, when the season actually started in proper, and then he had some off-field incidents or whatever, that it kind of must have derailed something somewhere, and, and he got injured. But then I've noticed that recently, whenever he's been asked to contribute, he's actually come in and done a solid job, hasn't he? Uh, like it's Lampard. The last time Lampard figured out that you play Ross Barkley deeper and then he actually does a good job because he can't waste situations in the final third. But then uh, yesterday, he actually did a decent job in the final third as well. He also managed... He he, he took his usual pot shot, but then he actually hit it on target, which was quite cool. Uh, I don't remember there was this one left-footed attempt of his as well that went wide, but the point was he was being he was being productive. When, when he shot... He either made it count or he made sure it was from a good position. And then he generally retained possession well. And his physicality was very important to us. So, yeah. Um, shout out to Ross Barkley. Well, I've, I've never been a huge fan of the fact that we signed him in the first place. But for $15 million, I think we could have done worse when it comes to a player that you don't necessarily need to start every game. But can contribute when you require them to. And... Mason Mount, of course, deserves all the plaudits in the world for putting in an absolute 10 out of 10 yesterday. He he was, people people knock him for not being creative enough. He could have had an assist yesterday. 
he was generally his passing his passing has come on in the last two games Jimmy don't you think because in the Manchester United game I noticed that when he came on he was linking up play very well he was passing forward well mm-hmm. and that's something that we have I mean we've kind of been frustrated with him about haven't we because he tries to play a forward pass in transition and then gets lost and that's just very annoying but he's I feel that he's improved in that regard in the last two games his passing's actually been quite solid and his overall decision making he's not overrunning he's not uh he hasn't taken any pot shots in the last two games I've noticed that as well so you know if lampard has been talking about wanting more out of mason mount you can be sure that they're having those conversations behind closed doors and it surely it's it's having an effect on mason mount and he's doing well and hopefully yeah this is just the start of a big upward trajectory so onwards and upwards so yeah before moving on to the next thing i think it's it's best that we take a short break welcome back to we and gardner podcast and jimmy just to continue upon something that you said that i didn't address earlier was frank lampard's game management mm. and each one of his substitutes were spot on i thought i mean there were only two obviously but <laughs> the fact that he replaced partly with william was a good move because i think that william i'm not sure how he would have done if he had started this game i think that's it can only be speculation at this point as to how effective he would have been as compared to barkley but when the energy was slightly beginning to wane and when we needed to pin spurs back at a time when they desperately needed to attack desperately looking for a goal uh i think the best way to try and pin them back was try and press them from the front and mount obviously does that very well uh i wouldn't say that's a strong suit of barkley's game but william provided much needed injection and also importantly recognizing that they would uh well throw a lot more men forward in the att- in an attempt to try and score william would also be a much more lethal threat on the counter which he did prove to be didn't he because right after they scored i think there were two occasions that i can clearly remember where william was on rushing after just a, just a lob forward by someone and uh we were we were i think three against three in their penalty area or something like that that's uh that's good that was lampard substitution working to good effect and then there was uh abraham coming on for jiru just when jiru's influence was starting to wane as well you know obviously he played well he got his goal but then i thought that he could have held up a little better there seemed to be a few moments where he was lacking i don't know a complete sort of awareness or he was being a little slower than he should have been so i think that bringing in abraham was also the right decision at the right time because tammy came and then he held up the ball well and he he won a foul and he that, that's exactly what you need when you're uh, preventing them from chasing lead isn't it you want to send the ball up front you want to make it stick and hopefully you want to carve out an opportunity to score yourself so yeah brilliant and game management is something that we knocked lampard about in the past as well haven't we so yeah. that was Definitely. that was superb yeah as i said just so so satisfying to see him making all the right decisions i think i didn't he, i think he didn't put a foot wrong yesterday and that that includes uh, playing caballero because i respect if he wants to play keepers based on merit and caballero didn't or uh, do himself any harm and he even did a couple of manual noir impressions uh, like poundland manual mm. impressions but yeah <laughs> uh 
Anyway, he he did well, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I mean, when the one game, the first game after he did come in, um, he did make that mistake of coming out. I can't even remember against who. I think it was against Leicester, if I'm not mistaken. Um, yeah, where basically Kepper was dropped. He, for, I mean, the first goal couldn't really do much. Uh, maybe a goalkeeper with a cat, you know, call that. But the second goal was on him, undoubtedly. But since then, he's been very steady, uh, hasn't made mistakes. And yesterday, he was he was very good, as was more or less everyone in the team, to be completely honest. Um, but yeah, he, he, he was he was very good. He was solid at, uh, at the back, and he was barking out orders that our defence so much needs. Yeah. And I think when we are talking about Caballero, I mean, just on a side note, that's, that's, that one goal, I mean, the one they scored... It was unlucky, you know. Rudiger couldn't really do much about that, and Caballero it was no one's fault. Really. Not really, you know. I mean, yeah. one could maybe make the argument that our defenders should have been more resolute. Yeah. Um, that I would say would be then on Rudiger and Azpilicueta. Um, maybe even Reese James, although I can't remember his positioning at the time. But definitely Azpilicueta and um, Rudiger. But you know, then again, Azpilicueta made uh, an important, uh, uh, important block few minutes beforehand um you know rudiger i didn't actually th- i think if there was anyone who i didn't feel too comfortable with yesterday then it was antonio rudiger when he was in possession he won- made that one mistake same yeah i feel as, as if tomorrow uh, would improve us in possession yeah for when it comes to you know making the right pass forward generally mm. he seems to pick out the better situations to break he the lines yeah and that was a problem with rudiger because he gave away that ball once where then Bergwin, I think, was charging forward. They could have scored, you know. You never know if he would have made a better decision, Bergwin. So that that was the only source of discomfort for me. But um, just quickly to Tammy Abraham. Um, yeah, he did He did do well when he came on. I just believe he should have done better on that one chance to score the third goal. And it was just, you know, stretching there. But normally you just have to say a strike of his calibre should be being more it should be more clinical in those situations but you know doesn't matter we won that's the most important thing and um just to bring the discussion on here um because we mentioned him before we started recording um andreas christensen now i said my, my man of the match was mason mount but a very very close second was undoubtedly andreas christensen mm-hmm. um he wasn't not, starting not I thought he was playing like a Rolls-Royce. Mateo Krovacic was fantastic. He was also above most of the players, although everyone was good. But for me, Andreas Christensen was second Uh to none uh, in regard to defensive duties yesterday because he was everywhere. Everyone was always knocking him about not being physical enough. And I thought he did very, very well. I know Bergwin and um, uh, what's his name? Lucas aren't the most physical, but even when Lamella came on, he always stood his ground. And when the, the Spurs midfielders were trying to come forward, he just did well. He did well and he didn't let anything happen. And I think at the middle of the three, he's ridiculously good. Uh, he's so composed. You know, I, I, I never had a doubt, shadow of doubt in my mind when he was on the ball. He's going to now give it away. He just did it so impeccably yesterday and that despite having that nose uh is that broken nose you know everyone always saying oh including myself you know he, he, i don't know about christmas because he's a bit too soft 
you know, because of the whole puking uh, fiasco, which Sari told us about or inferred. And um, all those kind of uh, situations where he was just not physical enough against an attacking player, which led to a goal. But at the moment, it's as if he's really growing up a bit. You know, he's got this bloody nose yesterday with the mask on. It was just fantastic. I, th- I just thought he did very, very well. What do you think? Yeah, it was uh, maybe uh, I'm, I'm a little loath to say it was his coming of age because he's he's played against so many class teams while he was out on loan. I think he had Barcelona two years in a row, or Man City two years in a row, one of them anyway. But yeah, in terms of maybe getting used to how physical the Premier League is, or just roughing it out with injuries and other physical things, I think Christensen is getting there. I think he's obviously evolving as a player, growing into a more confident version of what he used to be, and hopefully exercising the demons of playing against Barcelona on that day. And he does he does seem a lot more assured playing. Uh, also, it's noteworthy that he was playing in his most comfortable position, which is in the middle of a back three, right? And that's where he played for Mönchengladbach. He played in the middle of a back three. And... I do feel that that's a position that suits him best. So that helps, of course. And we'd still have to see how well he does against players that are more physical. But then to deal with those that try and pose a threat by running in behind or finding the gaps between our defense, he is very good because that's what we've always prided him on. The fact that he has very good game sense and anticipation and that he doesn't have the need to make a lot of tackles because he reads the game well. So that was it was good to see him back doing that in a comfortable position yesterday. So he did he did play very, very well, always assured in possession and also getting Baver stepping out with the ball. That was uh, that's been a notable improvement as well. And there were, I can remember a couple of times where he physically outmuscled, I think, Mora or Bergwine, one of them, or or both of them in occasions where through balls were played to them and he just, he didn't let them get to it. And yeah, obviously our defender is expected to do that, but he, everything that he did yesterday, he, he did, he did well. And honestly, I, I don't have any complaints from him yesterday. I thought it was a very, very good display. One of the best I've seen from him in a while. And you're right in saying that there has been a trend of him. I mean, we have also touched on it before and he he is definitely getting getting better so it's i don't think that uh, there may have been a time when people thought that maybe he would be the one to just let go in the summer because he wasn't developing as we had initially hoped but i think he's putting those concerns to bed i think he's rapidly making his way up to being one of our first two choice defenders to be honest I wholeheartedly agree. You know, um, for me, if we're playing in the two, I've been clamoring for Christensen and Tomori to yeah. be tried at least. I know people have a lot of concerns about that uh, pairing up of the two um, regarding physicality and so on, but I honestly think that we should give it a try. Christensen has been doing far better. Tomori, I think he's the future, and Tony Ruger has shown that he doesn't 
only have strengths as some like would like to believe uh, among the Chelsea fan base. Um, Tomori once again in the stands, though. I mean, he's yeah, definitely yeah. definitely for choice because Zuma was preferred to him on the bench, and I mean, heck, as as Pelicueta was playing as uh, the right side centre back, so I I mean, I don't know what's what what is happening there. Uh, if if anything, I just hope it's a management of game load. But then Mason Mount has played just just as much football as Tomori. It's strange. Or maybe it's the fact that Mason Mount did miss three three months out injured last season. And in that time, Tomori was playing every game for Derby County. So, yeah, I guess Tomori hasn't actually had a real break because whenever Mount... If, if you're going to compare Mount and Tomori side by side in terms of workload, I think I think Tomori played just as much, if not more, than Mason Mount last season. And then he also didn't get that three-month break when he was injured. And he's been going out for England duty at the same time as Mount. So... Maybe it's maybe it's just clever management. I I don't know. Maybe they're discuss. I hope they're discussing it. Where I mean at Cobham or wherever. But it's it's hard to believe that he's he's gone down to fourth choice on merit, isn't it? That that that, that can't be true. I think it's difficult to say. I, um, I mean. He's had a few injuries to deal with, and uh, I think Zuma is actually the one where you'd say he should be more the one who's fourth placed at the moment uh, for one reason or another. Yeah, he uh, should. But I think that's also how Lampard sees it. I don't know. He He's very careful when it comes to um, injuries with players, apart from Tammy Abraham um, before the winter break. But generally, he has been. So I think we'll just have to wait and see. Uh how things develop. Um, but I do believe yep. that Tammy Abraham is firmly a part of um, of Frank Lampard's plans for the future. So I, I'm not too worried about that. But I, I said, I do believe it will be Kurt Zuma to uh, leave at the end of the season. And um, also we might see whether he uses a different pairing, centre-back pairing, on Wednesday. And I think that's also a good chance to conclude our match report, so to speak. Um, if one wants to call it a match report, I think it was just yeah. reflecting <laughs> reflecting on what happened. Um, and we'll continue with previewing the um, Bayern Munich game. So Chelsea, um, the our first game of the Champions League final groups, uh, group stage, final knockout stages. Um, yeah, and it's going to be a tough one, but for the first time, we're going to do it a bit differently in this episode. Namely, we are going to end this as our first part of the episode, and we'll then continue in our second part, as we will be then joined by SB Nation, uh, the SB Nation blog, um, Bavarian Football Works, so Bayern Munich's official uh, SB Nation blog, by one of their writers who's called Jake Fenner and we will be sitting down with him and we'll be talking about that game. So do stay put and continue listening for now. That's all from us and we'll continue in just a moment. Welcome to our special segment of this episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast. And we have with us Jake Fenner of the Bavarian Football Works, also by SV Nations. Welcome, Jake. Nice to have you on here. 
thanks for having me on, guys. I'm glad to be here. And Jake is obviously a Bayern fan, so my first <laughs> question is, Jake, how much do you hate Chelsea? <laughs> <laughs> um, not as much as I hate uh, Tottenham or Man United or Man City, oh, okay. but um, why is that? I don't. I don't know. Uh, well. For a very brief moment of time, I was an Arsenal fan, but then I realized that I like to have joy in my life, so I moved <laughs> on from them. Um, Man City, because of uh, the whole business with Sheikh Mansour and them basically buying their way to trophies, and then Man United and Bayern Munich have had a lot of history in the past with uh, Champions League finals, um, if you mention the name Ollie Gunnar Solskjaer to me, I'll probably just right, yeah. like oh, yeah. curl up that into was... a ball, uh, which has not made his manager managerial <laughs> tenure that great for me. Yeah. No, fair enough. I, I understand that. But you say you switched over from Arsenal because you want, you'd like to have some joy as a supporter. I completely understand that. And um, do you feel as if you somehow have too much unopposed joy domestically <laughs> as a Bayern fan? Because you're just like, Winning the league every year since what 2013. Uh, yeah, well, it so. hasn't. It hasn't really been terribly easy, and I think that's one of the um, one of the more common associations with the Bundesliga is that it's incredibly easy to win. But if you look deeper into the standings, I think that Bayern is, or excuse me, the Bundesliga is probably one of the most competitive leagues in in the world if you look at england for example at least in terms of a top four it usually rotates between the same usual set of six teams both manchester clubs and usually either liverpool or any of the other four london clubs with the bundesliga there are so many different teams that rotate into positions two through four each year it's not always just Dortmund it can also be Bayer Leverkusen it can also That's be true. um RB Leipzig they're doing very very well this year and yeah. it's not it's not to say that every single time that Bayern has won the title it's been a cakewalk this year if Bayern wins i think we can all agree that it hasn't been a cakewalk for oh, them yeah, no, for, sure. for last year it wasn't decided until the final day and that was partially because Bayern Munich absolutely destroyed Eintracht Frankfurt on the very last day yes, and did. Borussia Dortmund didn't win by nearly as much so Bayern Bayern have won the league more consistently than others but I'd like to compare it to Italy where Juve have won their title for the last 7 years and most years it hasn't been nearly as close as I would say the last three years for the Bundesliga for Bayern. Mm, okay, yeah, no, that, that makes sense. I mean, that's why the be... Champions League is all the more important, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, in in the in those leagues, without a doubt, you know, I'm, that, and I'm not even saying that uh, derogatively uh, speaking. Um, I got I got to admit, of course we're not entitled to say, yeah, well, the Premier League is the most exciting league in the world. It is, in a no, sense, no, of course, can't. the <laughs> most competitive in regard to what kind of teams you have that could perform well in other leagues. But looking at Liverpool, of course, they are running away with the league this year. So in that respect, it's a bit difficult to make the argument for that. But anyway, so much uh, for that. I think 
if we're going to come closer to uh, previewing, of course, this game on Wednesday, this big, big game for both teams, um, a bit of history. Uh, the last time we faced off, if I'm not mistaken, was in the Super Cup mm-hmm. in 2014. If I yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. Or was it? No, actually. Yeah, yeah. No, wait, wait. No, it was 2013. Sorry, because 14 we didn't win. Whenever Lukaku went to Everton. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think it was 2013. Anyway, um, we we drew there and then Bayern won on penalties, which must have been quite nice after the year before. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah. So I think it's been quite. Shall I say um, balanced? Uh, I, I know we can have, of course, the games from the 2000s where we uh, still have some very big names, including Frank Lampard, who <laughs> who uh, was a very young player back then, mm-hmm. um, who's now, of course, Chelsea's first team coach. Um, but I think what one can nevertheless say, as said, very balanced encounters. So. Will that be the case this time again? Because Chelsea have been struggling. We had a great win against Tottenham, but then a very bad defeat against Manchester United the week before. Bayern, as we, you've already mentioned, Jake, has also had difficulties this season when sees it in the table. Mm-hmm. So how do you think will both teams shape up? Um, because I think it's Flink is your coach at the moment. Yes, yes. Uh, earlier in the season, we were coached by a Croatian by the name of Niko Kovac. Uh, yeah. He won the double with Bayern the previous year, and for some reason, the team didn't just necessarily gel around him in in this season, and he was sacked in, I want to say, like, mid-October, Um I was I was a bit of a defender of his at the time because I thought it was ridiculous because we had I believe it was Dortmund and a Champions League game coming up where we would have to have an interim manager and I I was of the opinion that I'd rather have a um a good and con- or a consistent manager that the players didn't necessarily like as opposed to an interim manager who didn't have a lot of experience. And at the time, that's exactly what Hansi Flick was. He had worked a lot with the German national team, but prior to that, he was the uh, first team coach at Hoffenheim back when they were in the Zweiliga in the second division. Um, But now, ever since then, it's become clear that Hansi Flick is absolutely a player's coach. They've come together under Hansi in a way that I've never I never saw them get together under Kovac, and it's for the better. Uh, I will completely defer that. I, I will admit that um, I was wrong on that one. More deeper into the squad this year, I find Chelsea and Bayern to be relatively similar in the case that injuries have kind of plagued the teams. Like, it's possible that you guys go into this match without N'Golo Kante and without Christian Pulisic. Um, Tammy Abraham didn't come on until a lot later in that um in that Tottenham match. So it'll be a question of how healthy he is. 
on the Bayern side, Bayern has struggled a lot on the back line in terms of injuries, and that's meant some interesting things, right? So starting with the bad, right? Uh, Nicolas Sula went down in mid-October with an ACL injury that might even see him out of the Euro 2020 competition with Germany, which is terrible for German soccer fans because Sula was such a dominant force on that back line for Bayern. And at the same time, we had also had a severe injury to Lucas Hernandez, who joined Bayern over the summer. He was our, and I believe he still is our, um, our highest transfer until the summer when, you know, we're linked with Havertz and uh, Leroy Sané. So I'm not sure about that one anymore. So it's kind of forced the Bayern squad to experiment a lot along that back line. And while it has given us some unfortunate situations like Jerome Boateng, who I love, but he's incredibly slow at the age of 31, but it's also allowed specifically one player to flourish, and that would be Alfonso Davies. For your American and Canadian listeners, you'll know so who he good. is easily. He's a he's a 19-year-old or 20-year-old kid from Canada. If you've never heard his story, go find it. It's an amazing story. He left a... Uh, in a, a refugee camp to go to Canada. And then he just became probably who could potentially be Canada's best footballer. He's a left winger on paper, but he's been dominating the left back position for a while as the team's been forced to have David Alaba slide towards a center back position. And nobody, and I know Chelsea's got a lot of fast people, but I can say this with confidence, I don't think there's a human being on earth outside Usain Bolt who can beat Alfonso Davies in a foot race. He is... How about Erling Haaland? Erling Haaland? Uh, possibly. Uh, Bayern and Dortmund haven't played each other in with Haaland on the team yet. That, that, would be, that would be fun. But, like, one of my favorite things in a nil-nil draw with Leipzig was Timo Timo Werner is a relatively fast player. Uh, yeah. Alfonso Davies and Timo Werner had about 10 yards of space in between them once he received the ball, and he made this beautiful like 15-20 yard recovery run where he just ran him down and stole the ball away from him. So Davies is going to be an incredibly important player. And with his experience at left wing, that means that he's got great offensive capabilities. Bayern love to push their left and right backs up the wing, and that's given Davies a lot of opportunities for assists, which have come through in spades in uh, in important times for for the squad. Uh, offensively, I think we're looking. Um, I think we're looking pretty well uh, for a while. Thomas Müller was left out of the squad. And this team felt weird without him, at least from a Bayern fan's perspective. But I think the squad felt that as well, because for so many years, Muller has been just the glue that has held the squad together. Um, and it was really a battle between him and Philippe Coutinho, who joined us on loan over the summer from Barcelona. Uh, Coutinho's performances of late haven't been great, but that's probably benefiting Muller. He scored 
a lot of goals recently in the second half of the uh, Bundesliga season, what we would call the Rückrunde. Um, he's just been phenomenal. And then uh, we have some winger problems, but that will pretty much be taken pe- care of. Uh, Ivan Perisic might be out for a while, but with Kingsley Coman and Serge Gnabry, I think we're all set. And then, of course, the main man up front, Robert Lewandowski. I'm pretty sure outside Erling Haaland that Lewandowski is the second highest Champions League goal scorer. For some reason, he's gotten one... I think he's gotten one goal in almost every Bundesliga match. So he's just been phenomenal. He chipped in two for us in a relatively close game against Paderborn on Friday. So uh, I expect a big performance out of him. And... Yeah, I guess that's pretty much the Bayern squad as a whole. Uh, with Chelsea, I imagine it's a uh, similar situation of a lot of injuries, but relatively well put together. You think there's a good chance that either team might end up lining up a three-four-two-one against a three-four-two-one? Uh, I don't think three in the back is necessarily Bayern's game. Uh, uh-huh. They, I saw that three-four-two-one against Tottenham, and I thought that the performance was relatively good but at times it looked similar to like i would almost say a three five two especially with the roles that um aspiliqueta and marcos alonso had so Mm -hmm. byron byron usually like to keep their shape and like to keep possession and i feel the best and I think they figured out that the best way to do that is to have a four-two-three-one with two uh, more defensive midfielders. Usually, that will be um, any combination of Corentin Tolisso, uh, Tiago, uh, Javi Martinez, or Joshua Kimmich, and then My having that. <laughs> What a set of midfielders that is. Yeah. Uh, at times at times we've had to have Javi Martinez slot back into a center back role, yeah. but we tried that one time and it did not work out well at all. He gave up way too many uh, chances in the box. So it's possible that we could see Javi there, but I if it were if it were my money, I would probably go with Tiago and Kimmich, who slid over from the right back position which necessarily it's not helping the club with its uh with its gut of defenders at the moment but that's not to say that his performances haven't been just insane at the right at the center defensive mid position he's been just as equally helpful to the offense so uh yeah that that over-reliance on possession and just dominating everything makes me think that they'll probably stick with that 4-2-3-1. Sometimes that looks like a 4-3-3, but I think that I think that's what they're going to go with, four in the back, probably. Just on, a, on a general note, is this an especially exciting time to be a Bayern fan because of the number of exciting young players coming through? I mean, I'm talking about even ones that you've purchased, like Cuisance and uh, Jan Feet up. Uh, mm-hmm. And then there are ones who come through the academy, of course, like Batista Meyer, I think, Xerxes, Lucas May. Mm-hmm. And th- there's another one that I want to ask you about for more selfish reasons later. But then, yeah, mm-hmm. is this is this just a very, very exciting time to see all these young players in and around the squad now, even, even if it's due to injuries or whatever. Oh, absolutely. It's, a, it's an amazing time to see everybody come up 
Um, Batista Meyer has put in some really quality performances for us. Cuisance has come in off the bench a lot of times. Uh, even though he's injured right now, Joshua Xerxy has been amazing for us. Xerxy had his first appearance, his debut in the later minutes of a match against Freiburg, where at the time, Freiburg was fifth place at the time. Bayern was second, I think. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really close match on a, I think it was a Friday. But um, Xerxes came on in like the 85th minute and made his debut in the middle of a 2-2 draw, I think. It was a 1-1 draw. And then he scored. He scored on his debut with almost like, no time left and then a minute later Muller chipped in another one to make it three to two or, or four to two or three to one or whichever one it is and then the next game against Wolfsburg he also came on late and also contributed a goal but unfortunately for us he's down with an injury right now and with players like RP had also had an injury. I don't expect him to make an appearance in the Champions League. I believe he hasn't even been named to our Champions League squad. But okay, yeah. yeah, so Bayern Bayern's youth ranks are relatively stacked at the moment. Um, whether that's in the outfield or in uh, in between the sticks at goalkeeper. Mm -hmm. And I obviously I'm Indian, so there is a player that I specifically want to ask you about, and that's even though he's he's uh, actually from New Zealand, but Sarpreet Singh, he has been putting up insane numbers in the third division. I've been, I've been monitoring all season, and uh, I think I think it's pretty cool to have your reserve team play in the third division. By the way, that is just yeah. the ideal thing you need for good development. But yeah, I, I noticed that Sarpreet Singh. I remember that he made his debut in the in the TFE Pokal. I think yes. And how do you how do you rate him as a talent? How far do you think he can go? I'm really excited to see what Sarpeet Singh can bring forth to this Bayern team. He has a really good command of the ball. He he's he's the perfect mold of a Bayern Munich midfielder. He can push up if he want to. He has a great time at possession. Um, and you're exactly right. He's done a lot of great things for the Bayern reserve side that are playing in the Dry Liga in the third division. That was nothing that we had expected. <laughs> we we had thought that they would do like their best, but there are a whole bunch of kids going up against like teams that have had experience in the Bundesliga, like your Ingolstadt's or your Darmstadt's, and yeah. somehow like they've come up from. I think they were around fourteenth out of twenty or twenty-two teams in the in the Dry Liga going into Christmas and they've shot up to eighth. They're doing really, really well. And yeah. I'm I'm impressed and I'm proud of them. And Singh is definitely one of those key players for them. And who knows, maybe if they continue this form we can get a uh second division matchup. Um or shooting them up to the second division, they might even make the DFB Pokal which has which is an entirely different beast unto itself and it's not to say yeah. that reserve sides haven't had great luck with the DFB Pokal for prime example Hertha Berlin have been in the league for years and they have never reached a DFB Pokal final 
but their reserve team has. Their reserve oh team made the final in 94 or 95, I think. They lost, but just to consider that a reserve team could be better in the league in the cup match than the than their parent club is just uh-huh. a reason why it's just an amazing competition in and of itself. Yeah, brilliant. And I just before we move on to a short break, um I actually watched the Bayern reserve side against Uerdingen, I think it was. It was at the end of January and it was actually being telecast live on YouTube on the on yes. the, I don't know, on on the official YouTube channel of the of uh, the German football board, I think. So that was yeah, that was really cool. I, I actually watched that game in whole and the, the youth side were very impressive. So yeah, exciting times to be a Bayern fan, I guess. And yeah, on that note, before we come back in to get some predictions in terms of lineups and score lines, we will take a short break. And we are back. Um, we've just had a quite in-depth discussion about things that Ram loves. That That's always a good thing to have. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just kidding, mate. Um, yeah, no, but now, of course, we're going to get a bit more into details for the upcoming game against Bayern. Um, we always do this with our preview in, in our previous section, Jake, that we talk about predictions, predicted lineups, and as this is a Champions League game, I'm pretty sure that we should also address which player should be your pick to watch, or which player is your pick to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a buying perspective, um, we'll do the same from a Chelsea perspective, that we can maybe in the aftermath have a look who was right, who was completely wrong. Um, yeah, so... I think before we talk about predict the lineups, injury-wise, you've already addressed a few um, while talking about uh, Bayern. Mm-hmm. Chelsea, also not too rosy. We've got Christian Pulisic out, pretty sure. Tammy Abraham, not quite fit yet. Kante, as you mentioned, he, he will be out for sure. Um, yeah, and you never know, as, as a Chelsea fan, we've learned this season to be prepared that Anyone can be injured at any given moment. Um, so we can hope that Callum hudson is back. That would be quite interesting to see him start against Bayern. Oh, after, yeah, it will. <laughs> yeah, after all what's happened, um, especially when I'd expect that uh, Sam Hamicic will be sitting uh, <laughs> somewhere in the stadium. Uh, that would be quite fun. Yeah, watch him break on a long run and he'll just be fuming. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that that would be very uh, reminiscent of how he was as a player, actually. Um, so, mm. yeah, <laughs> that'd be interesting to see. Anyway, Jake, what what do you say um, in regard to Bayern? I mean, you've already mentioned it, said, but who can we expect to start? Who will be definitely out? Who might be questionable? All right, so... We can probably expect that the back line will look like some combination of Alfonso Davies at left back and Benjamin Pavard at right back. And now those are probably the two that are most set in stone unless Joshua Kimmich decides that he wants to slide into right back. And then it's kind of a crapshoot in terms of the center back position. Uh, You'll probably have David Alaba there and then the second Center back is really just a question of whether or not Lucas Hernandez is healthy. If it's not him, then it will probably be Jerome Boateng, which will drive half of us insane. 
but it might not be the worst thing for you guys. Uh, the two defensive midfielders, as I had mentioned before, I'm going off in an idea that it will be a 4-2-3-1. Uh, it will probably be, like I mentioned, Kimmich. Um, and then not even I didn't even mention Leon Goretzka, who has just been phenomenal for Bayern. I would possibly give him the start over uh over Tiago or um or Corentin Tolisso that midfield three will probably look like Kingsley Coman on the left Serge Gnabry on the right and then in that center attacking role will probably be Thomas Muller uh he's uh, his nickname is Ramdeuter, Space Invader, yes. directly yeah. translated. Um, yeah. And he just really loves to move around the box, so he's not going to be stuck to that one position. Uh, and then, of course, out front, Robert Lewandowski. And in between the sticks, we've got, uh, some would say, I some probably wouldn't say, but at least I would say, one of, if not the greatest goalkeepers in the world, Manuel Neuer. Uh, he's had some injuries last year so far, knocking on every single wood surface around me. He hasn't gone down with an injury yet. Um, so I expect him to put in a good performance as well. Uh, I'm sure that would be quite interesting to hear the thoughts of Chelsea fans on whether, or anyone, uh, you know, who isn't a Bayern fan on whether my man or Neuer can still be regarded as the best goalkeeper in the world. I think that's a, debate that one can definitely hold but well you've got the greatest manager in the world between the sticks for you guys and keppa so <laughs> i probably won't even make keppa to be to be fair <laughs> that that yeah coming to who one would expect on our side ram uh already said it doubt that uh keppa's gonna play maybe maybe but caballero seems more of a fit yeah uh, and he, he played fan. well in the last game so i mean did, if, if you're yeah. going on merit you should you start the next one it should, yeah. And defensively, well, we were already talking about it in the first part, weren't we, Ram? Regarding uh, centre-back pairings, that'll be interesting to see because, I mean, they're going up against one of the most lethal strikers in the world, if not the most lethal, still at honestly, his age. Honestly, I think it's going to be the same lineup as Tottenham. But, you do? Yeah, I think so. But I think... Okay. Um, bit, with, bit with, with a couple of changes. Here, yeah. With a couple of changes. <laughs> I think Barkley is going to go out for William, and I think Giroud is going to go out for Abraham. That's what, that's what I think anyway, because it adds a little more mobility to the side whilst maintaining the overall idea, which is to going to be stop them from playing. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Well, Lampard has usually, when when we have played three at the back this season and hasn't been an extreme amount of times but when we have done that then it's always been after it's worked so as it did work on Saturday it doesn't seem far-fetched as you say that Frank Lampard would uh, decide to resort to it once more when going up against Bayern so yeah yeah good shout um not sure how Bayern will uh see that choice if they'll be happy about it or less so um I don't well, uh, I'm not able to watch as much Bundesliga as I used to uh, in recent months due to personal uh, reasons. But um, I don't know. Do, do, Jake, has Bayern gone up a lot against three at the back? How have they coped? Three at the back in the Bundesliga is... 
like it it's worked a really well for some teams in the past. Mm. Uh for that see um Eintracht Frankfurt under Nico yeah. Kovac from a couple yeah, of years yeah. ago, right? They had a yeah. 3-5-2 when they went up against Bayern in the Pokal final, and they ended up winning by a lot. It works really well for some teams, and it doesn't for others, which I guess is every formation. But um, so far this year, I think we've been able to cope relatively well with a uh, with a three in the back. If anything, it just gives a higher incentive for those uh for those wingbacks to uh to push forward and uh generate more offense through there so it'll be interesting to see how uh how they'll how they'll go up against that formation but um yeah I don't know I don't know exactly how how the team's going to deal with it okay uh, okay but that's I think be cautiously optimistic that could be something good then (laughs) have to wait and see um but yeah i think that will then be the way lampa will go and if we're gonna continue with players to watch um i think ram and i i'm not sure if we're gonna be on the same wavelength here but um i'm gonna go with as he's already played in the bundesliga andreas christensen I think he he's performed so well over recent uh, well, over recent games um, or in recent games. Sorry, uh, that I could imagine he sees it as his uh, bit of a pride on the line here because he has played against Bayern in the past with Gladbach uh, to see and show how to do it. You know, lead by example. I played against them. Most of the team haven't. You know, it's a long time ago since 2012 or 13. I think Cesar Spilicueta is one of the only ones left, uh, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. So, uh, well, Olivier Giroud's played against you often, uh, but we hope that he'll have a better experience than with yeah. Arsenal. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I'd go with Andres Christensen. What do you think, Ram, before we get to Jake? Uh, yeah, sure. I mean, just to, just for... Uh, I, I, I do obviously agree that Christensen is a player to watch and one that Bayern will be very well aware of, having played against him, um, I think, four or five times already. But I would like to go for Reese James, actually, mm. because he's definitely going to play. And Reese James versus Alfonso Davies is going to be very interesting to watch, in my oh, opinion, <laughs> because... Yeah, Alfonso Davies has got absolute wheels for feet, and Reese James is built like a tank and not not very slow. I mean, he, he's no slouch in the base department either. So that is going to be very interesting when they when and if they directly come up against each other. And generally, I'm I'm very intrigued to see how Reese James takes to that sort of level of opposition. We've he, we've yeah. seen that he can do it against someone like Ajax. Uh, but yeah, it's just crazy to think someone who is someone who is playing um against uh let me let me pull it. someone who's playing against name any random championship side last season uh someone who's playing against Ipswich Town is going to play against Bayern Munich this this year in less than a year's time and yeah that's cool uh, i imagine alfonso davies will be a huge step up from playing against guion edwards so yeah reese james is my person to, for bayern to watch out for he should be a very intriguing one to observe. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. If I could chip in with a Chelsea player to watch, if you guys don't mind, I definitely, sure, sure. I definitely want to see uh, how Tammy Abraham does. He's got two goals and one assist over six appearances, which I think doesn't really. Uh, lend to how dominant of a striker he's been in England and of course with his relatively young age at 22 I think it would be rel- I think it would be very interesting to see how he does against a larger side outside of England because I could say it for anybody I could definitely say it for Bayern that it's one thing to do it against the biggest teams in Germany. It's another thing to do it against big team in England. Same thing could be on the other foot. It's one thing to do against bigger teams in England, but once you go into Europe, it's another story in and unto itself. So I really want to see how he'll be able to respond to that pressure of a bigger European night than he's seen before. So he he'll definitely be somebody to watch out for at least in my opinion and then you also mentioned uh Callum Hudson Adoy that would just be hilarious if he's what could have been that would be the most um schadenfreude thing i could think of yeah possibly yeah. for for him to go into um well not not in this tie but in the next one uh to go into Munich and be able to score, that would be insane. For Bayern, I it's easy to say Robert Lewandowski is somebody to watch out for. Um yeah. <laughs> 25 goals in 23 games. Like he's been unbelievable this year. Uh and those games in the Bundesliga at least. Uh for the Champions League, he's just equally as good. Ten and five. Just unreal. Uh and I again, I would, I could harp on the praises of Alfonso Davies all day if I wanted to, um, but since we've mentioned him so much, uh, I'll defer to somebody else. I think the player that I'm going to pick as my player to watch is Joshua Kimmich, because uh-huh. he's so more than a right back. I think that I think it's a real testament to how driven he is as a player that he wasn't content to be one of if not the best right backs in the world currently and how much he wanted to press higher and to keep in mind when Joshua Kimmich was younger when he was playing in his reserve days at uh at RB Leipzig he was a central midfielder he was a central defensive midfielder by trade and then Bayern chose him as the heir apparent to Philip Lahm and he performed amazing in that right back role. But now that he's back in midfield, he's a little bit more grounded. And he seems to have really settled in and seems really happy in that position. And he contributes a lot to the offense. You'll see him drift out wide from his center midfield position to send crosses and he's our main corner kick specialist. So I think that we could see a lot of great passes from him. We could see a lot of interesting crosses from him into Lewandowski. I think we could see amazing corners from him. I think I think he's helped Byron score off of corners in the last two or three games. So yeah, I guess my unconventional pick for a player to watch would be Joshua Kimmich. 
Hmm. Okay, yeah, that's a good pick. Good pick. I mean, he is one of those players that nearly every team in the world would want to have, without a doubt. I mean, my shout would be uh, Serge Gnabry. Um, still got a bit of unfinished business, maybe. He might think in London. Um, yeah, four wasn't enough, of apparently. London, but... <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, true, I, I'll be completely honest, I forgot about that. But um, still, you know, I, I'm sure someone with Serge Gnabry's drive will always want to perform well when he goes to England after uh, leaving for Germany. After being um, rejected by Tony Pulis. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 must have stung. Um, but you know, I, I think Serge Gnabry is a fantastic player. I think he's one of those wingers that also most teams would want to have in the team. Maybe not Manchester City or Liverpool, but I, for one, wouldn't mind. You know, Jane Sancho is the dream for most teams that are on the hunt for a winger this summer. But Serge Gnabry, not that we're going to get him, but he would be one of those players where I would definitely not say no because I just. Uh, rate him that highly so I, I could imagine he'll be causing our defense all sorts of problems um yeah that would be my pick from a buying perspective yeah i expect a big game out of him he's just done phenomenally every time he goes uh back to england so i expect him i expect great things out of him he's got four goals in the champions league so far so maybe he continues that run Yep, and uh, mine is obviously Alfonso Davies. I have harped, I mean, you, you have probably harped more, Jake, but I have... A little bit more, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, I, I am a very big fan of Alfonso Davies, and, and I love the fact that they picked him up from um, the MLS, and he's he's taken like, he's taken like a fish to water, really, uh, in, in this league. There has been, it's just, it's it's really it's it's unprecedented, isn't it? Uh, you'd say for someone to come from that league to this one, and but we're not we're not counting Pulisic here because I don't think he actually played in the MLS. No, he didn't. But, yeah, but but to to come in at such a high level and play so well, uh, albeit with teammates of such high caliber, no, it's genuinely. Uh, I, I think Alfonso Davies could become one of the best left backs or left wing backs or whatever left-sided player you want of his generation. That's, mm-hmm. uh, I, I rate his ceiling very highly. But yeah, that is a decent note to end this episode of We Ain't Got No Podcast, I suppose. Uh, Jake, thank you very much for coming on here. You have been very insightful, and it's been great talking about Bayern with you. Yeah, thanks guys for having me. We'll have to do this for the uh, for the second leg. Yes, yes, we will. And... That's great. So that's it from me and from Jimmy. So see you on the next episode of We Invert No